Christ alone is our hope. There's salvation in no other name. Isn't God good? He's good and he's faithful. It's good to see you this morning. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your loving kindness that is better than life. Thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, hope that is to be found in no other place. Thank you for the satisfaction that comes when we place our faith and our trust in you. Thank you for the fact that you're real, that you live, that you speak to us today, that you live within us, that we can experience your power today. Father, as we open your word, as we examine the truth of your scripture, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. I pray that you will instruct us, that you will challenge us, that you will convict us, that you'll have your way here in this place today. We, we give it to you. You are enough. You're all we need. You're all we, all we can depend upon. And so we place our faith and our trust in you today. In your name I pray. Amen. I um, had lunch yesterday at that bastion of culinary delight known as McDonald's. <laughs> Everybody knows McDonald's. McDonald's is famous for its <laughs> french fries, hamburgers, Coffee, mocha frappe. What is McDonald's not famous for? <laughs> All right. Before I lose control, let me tell you the answer I'm trying to solicit from you. Filet of fish. Do you know why McDonald's has a, 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 a hamburger joint has fish on its menu? Let me, let me tell you why McDonald's has fish on its menu. Lou Groen was a McDonald's franchisee owner, and he owned McDonald's in the 1960s. And he noticed that during Lent, hamburger sales dropped off on Friday enough to impact his bottom line. Because it was a predominantly Catholic area, and during Lent, 40 days leading up to Easter, they were not to eat, quote, flesh meat, no beef, no, no meat of the flesh. And so fish was an alternative. Uh, this man decided he needed a solution. There was another local restaurant that did really well with their fish sandwiches. And so he took it to the owner of McDonald's, who, by the way, had a better idea. He wanted a pineapple sandwich. They had a contest, and they said, whichever one sells the most, the, the fish or the pineapple, that's the one we'll do, and the fish won significantly. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, according to USA Today, no kidding, almost one quarter or over one quarter of the filet of fish sales happen during Lent, which is the 40 days leading up to Easter. Do you guys know what Lent is? Have you ever heard of Lent. Lent is a Christian calendar event, church calendar event, that is 40 days leading up to Easter, leading up to the crucifixion, leading up to our recognition of Christ's resurrection. And uh, it's been practiced for years, actually for centuries, and it is a time of self-denial. Uh, it involves fasting. Are you guys familiar with the phrase fasting? It is a period when you do not uh, eat, or you, do, or you deny yourself something that you normally do. Uh, fasting, by the way, has been from Bible times. Christ, we, we read in our text this morning, Christ fasted for 40 days, 40 days without food. 
And there are others who throughout history, as a sign of their piety, as a sign of managing their own appetites, would fast and deny food or deny other something else, something other to their body. And part of the purpose is, is to let their body know or their appetites know that their appetites are not in charge. To exercise some sense of self-control, but also a sense of self-denial. Originally, 40 days of self-denial later became just no flesh meat on Fridays, and then no flesh meat on Fridays during Lent. Now, while there's no Bible mandate to observe Lent, and certainly it does not grant any special graces, we're not trying to earn favor here, but I do want to let you know that as a church, I'm encouraging you, we have a Lenten prayer guide. I'm encouraging you to actually participate in some manner where you deny yourself something that you like or that you want, that your appetites say, I'm hungry for, for a period of 40 days. But not just so that you can prove to your appetites that you're in charge, even though there's value in that. But to take the time that you would normally do that, to participate in that, and spend it in prayer, spend it in reading scripture, spend it in thinking about allowing God's word, God's Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so we have daily Bible readings and just a a guide for you to pray as you reflect on the events of the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross and to the resurrection. Now, why does this come to play now? It's it's because, um, oh, by the way, um, Lent begins on February the 14th. That's a tough day. To start denying yourself. So husbands, I will give you special dispensation. Take your wife out anyway. All right? Pick it up after. Uh, but, but it is important, I think, that, that we do. There's some truths here that I want us to learn. As a matter of fact, let me just lay out the purpose for this message from the very beginning. My goal today is that you and I learn to recognize temptations that are often subtle, subtle temptations of our own appetites in order that we may not be overtaken in a sin. But conversely, in opposition to that, that we may deepen our trust in God, His love for us, and His provision for us. And so we've been studying the life of, the life of Christ. We are studying the life of Christ. Last week we went into the wilderness with Jesus where He was tempted. Forty days, no eating. And then the Scripture says, and He was hungry. And that's a reasonable thing after 40 days. Remember where we were in the context. The Father had commended him. The Spirit had descended upon him. The prophet, John the Baptist, had proclaimed him the Lamb of God. The people of Jerusalem and Judea had been prepared by a baptism to repentance for his coming. We know that Jesus is already aware of his divine nature. We know he's already aware of his divine mission. And you know he's got to be filled with joy because now after 30 years of obscurity, the work, the public work, begins. He has had his official launch at the River Jordan. He is at the high point of anticipation. He's ready to enter his earthly ministry. And in that spirit, he is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. There he confronts Satan, and he is confronted by Satan. And he demonstrates one final, great, and essential credential. He is able to say no to sin. His ability to conquer sin and Satan is the moment in which he earns perfection. He is tempted in every manner, just as we are, yet without sin. And so last week we talked about what Christ accomplished in his uniqueness, because he is unique, and this situation is in many ways very unique to him. And I said last week that this is more than just a model, and it is more than just a model, but it is also 
a model for you and I. That same Jesus lives within us. Amen? That same Jesus gives us the power to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. We're in a battle that we should engage in every day, throughout the day. Remember the warning in 1 Peter 2.11 where he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those who are just traveling through, to abstain from the passions, the hungers, the desires of the flesh because they wage war against your soul. So what is temptation anyway? Temptation is a lure, a desire, an enticement. It is to try or to test one's faith or your virtue, virtue or your character. It's an enticement to sin. According to the context, it's equivalent to solicit to sin or to tempt, obviously. So Satan has a goal, and it was to thwart God's plan. His temptation of Christ in the wilderness was a goal to, to, to thwart. We know thwart from Tuesday night. To turn aside, to prevent, to block God's plan by G giving Jesus opportunities to take shortcuts. To do that which he was not intended to do, that which he did not come to do, but that which would have been easier, that which would have been quicker. But in the same way, you and I, God has a plan for our lives, a plan of, of transforming us and conforming us to the image of his son, a, trans, uh, a goal of making us holy, purifying us, cleansing us. We are his people. Uh, we, we are his representatives in the world. We are his ambassadors, and, and his desire is for uh, uninterrupted intimacy between us and him. And when we sin, when we yield to temptation, his plan is, is thwarted, is blocked in our life. Now, and I almost asked Ashley to make me some bread this morning because she made us this great loaf of bread that Susan and I enjoyed a while back. It's really good, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and, but uh, here's a question for you. Is there anything wrong with bread? I mean, I want, you to, I want you to just think about it for a minute because the first temptation seems to make abundant sense, doesn't it? Jesus, 40 days, no food in the wilderness. You went from that initial hunger pain First of all, can you imagine 40 days with no food? People do it, and people have done it. Most of us don't, shorter periods of time. I have a hard time imagining a day without food. But it is important, I think, for us to recognize that Jesus went 40 days, and so there's those initial hunger pains. It'll last for a day or two or three, and then all of a sudden you get into kind of this zone where there's no hunger pains, and you just don't even feel the need. Uh, dehydration sets in you have to hydrate and you can satisfy hunger a lot by just drinking but then when you come to the end of that period of time Jesus came in that period of time he was hungry and Satan's temptation was you're the son of God see these stones turn them into fresh baked bread what, what's wrong with bread it, it certainly wasn't a temptation to gluttony hunger is a normal God-given need the temptation wasn't to show off. There was nobody there to see. It certainly wasn't self-indulgence. You could do better than bread. And it's certainly not a sin to meet your need for food. And I think this is a great place for you and I to start when we start recognizing the temptations that can sneak up on us. And that is we need to expect temptation to come from good desires. Just as hunger is a good desire, and we all have good desires, we need to expect temptation, the source of temptation that will, Satan will use often to come from good desires. The, the shorthand for this is we need to be on guard. We need to be aware. And so how do we be aware? First of all, that which is good, normal, and natural are often where our greatest temptations can originate. For example, we all have a desire for significance. We want our lives to matter. We want to do something that's important. 
But that can lead to pride, a sense of inflated or unrealistic sense of self and self-worth, arrogance. We all have a desire for success, and we all have a desire for acceptance by our peers. Uh, and that can lead to looking at our peers and envy, envying what they have, the feeling that you deserve the possession, success, or virtues, or talents that another person is putting on display. Uh, we all have desires for food and drink. Taken to an extreme, food and drink, the desire there, when we satisfy it, it can become gluttony, an excessive desire for the pleasure of eating and drinking. All of us have a God-given need for intimacy, for relationships, to connect with someone in a meaningful way, even to feel physical touch. And yet that can so easily be converted to the sin of lust, a selfish focus on sex or a desire to have sexual pleasure with someone other than your spouse or in a way inappropriate desire we all have a desire for fairness for justice we want to see what's right done how easy is it for that desire to be conflated into anger and rage or even the desire for revenge because we want justice done particularly for those who are unjust to us we all have a desire to be comfortable we all have a desire to be comfortable but how easy is it for that desire to comfort, to become greed, a strong desire for possessions? And then we all have a desire to rest. I am typically a champion sleeper. I like to sleep. Are y'all good sleepers? There's not much good about a cold, wet, rainy day unless you have a fire in the fireplace and a good recliner and a patient wife. But I love to rest. But how easy is it for rest to become slothfulness? Good biblical word. A lack of effort, laziness, just being slack. So easy. Now, those of you who are church people, you'll recognize we just talked about the seven deadly sins. You remember those? They've been identified as sins that are dangerous to anybody, but particularly the life of a Christian. Pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, and sloth. Here's what I want you to know. Normal and good and natural desires and hungers can become the seed ground for temptations that will take you outside of the will of God. And we live. These are appetite temptations. Temptations of appetite, things that were hunger. And they can be easily the hardest to face because they're everywhere. Every billboard. Every TV commercial, every ad on the internet, every 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 uh, opportunity at every opportunity we see everywhere a, an appeal to our appetites. The world surrounds us with enticements and lures to indulge and to overindulge our appetite. Even in churches, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a name it claim it kind of church or a prosperity gospel kind of church. But they're the ones who say God loves you and God wants you to be happy. And so God wants to put you in the newest car and the biggest house and have the best job. And God wants to see your material and physical and, and social success in this world. I want you to warn you that that is a sign, by the way, of heresy. That is a sign that they're not teaching the truth of the word of God. Paul warned about this. Now, so did Peter. So did Jude and others. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul warns this church that he loves so dearly in Philippi. He says, brothers... Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch us. But there are many whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, that walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Get that description now. How, how are they characterized? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Small g. Their God is their belly. It means th th what they worship 
is that which satisfies them, their, their flesh, their worldly needs. They glory in their shames. What's the deal? It's summed up in that last phrase. Their minds are set on earthly things. Paul says to remember, we're not of this earth. We got saved. We got a new citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so we need to recognize that we all have appetites and they are a source for temptation and, and normal, good, healthy desires can be, can be uh, desires that Satan uses to lead us outside of the will of God, outside of trust in his provision to lead us to be trapped in, in the sins or in, in a whole category of sins. Remember what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6 and you all know this verse. Can you by wishing add an inch to your height? <laughs> Buddy, if you could, I'd be over six feet tall. Uh, you worry about what you're going to wear. You worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about things that you really don't need to worry about because you have a loving Father who will provide for your needs. What are you supposed to seek? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Listen, we need to recognize that in coming to Christ, our priorities change. We're no longer enamored of the things of the world. We now want to find those things that please God and do those. We want to focus on the things that matter for eternity. And you say, okay, I get it, I get it. But the temptation to bread for Christ, as we said, wasn't a temptation to gluttony. It wasn't a pride. Whatever the bread was, it wasn't self-endurance. So what was the temptation that actually Satan presented to Christ? When he told him, 40 days... You've been without food. Take a rock and turn it into bread to satisfy your own hunger. How do we understand what that temptation was about? And let me just see if I can unpack this really quick. Philippians chapter 2, the scripture tells us about Christ's condescension, Christ coming from heaven to earth. God, fully God, equal with God, and yet he gave that up. He emptied himself. He laid aside, kenosis is the word if you want to look it up, he, he laid aside prerogatives and rights. And what he did was he laid aside his authority to act on his own initiative. When he came to the earth, he said, I am here to do what? The Father's will. I don't do anything but what the Father has told me to do. Again and again, he says, I only do what the Father tells me. I only do what the Father shows me. I've come to do the Father's will. That's it. As a matter of fact, John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And Satan knew this. Satan knew that Jesus had restricted his independent use of his own deity to do only the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what was the temptation? The verse says, If you are the Son of God, Command this stone to be bread. I want to make something clear. He was not questioning whether Jesus was the Son of God. The word if there is interpreted probably better, but at least equally well, since you are the Son of God. Command these stones to be made bread. By the way, the devil's never questioned Jesus' identity. Do you remember that? Everywhere he goes, he confronts a demon, 
casts out demons. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 4, just go a little further down the chapter to verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice, and here's what he said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The Satan's always, Satan always affirms Christ's identity. And he's saying here, hey, listen, you're the Son of God. Sure, you're here to serve the Father. The Father loves you, and He knows you're hungry. He knows all about bread. I mean, no one knows more about bread than God. He fed the Israelites in the wilderness 40 years with manna daily. And didn't the psalmist always say that God fills the hungry with good and that He'd never seen God's people forsaken or begging for bread? You see, the temptation that He faced is to step outside of God's plan, outside of God's will, outside of God's boundaries, in order to experience immediate satisfaction are you with me there don't go to sleep yet are you with me there because this is where we have application for our lives satan always tempts us to look for immediate satisfaction he always tempts us to step outside of god's plan for our life since you're the son of god listen but you've got the power You've got the right. And I'm sure he said, and you deserve it. You deserve it. I mean, 40 days? Have a loaf of bread. You deserve it. What was the temptation? The temptation was not to trust God, not to follow God's leading. That sounds so familiar to us. We are tempted by our appetites to step outside of God's plan and will for us all the time. And we all have this almost elementary sense that when we're hungry we want to be fed now a good desire becomes a temptation to sin when it leads us to doubt God's love and provision for us and leads us outside of the boundaries he has for us now I'm gonna give you the second point in the outline this is my best shot if you can say this better I want you to write it down and send it to me will you do that all right but here's the application point you and I we need to beware of shortcuts to satisfaction we need to be aware of taking shortcuts to satisfaction, which means that we need to stay faithful to the one who saved us, the one who forgave us, the one who called us. We need to walk in faithfulness. And so we remember that God loves us. Satan's lies always start with enough truth to hook you. God loves you. You believe that? God loves you. He loves you. God loves you, so he wants you to be full, not hungry, right? If God loves you, wouldn't he want you to be happy? If God loves you, doesn't he want you to not feel any pain or discomfort? Hey, God loves you. He wants you in the best that you can get. He wants you in the, the finest car, the biggest house, eating the best food, wearing the best clothes, taking the best trip. He wants you at the next level. And whatever it takes to get there, if it's a shortcut here or twisting something there, it's okay. God's full of grace. He understands. I'll never forget, not too many years ago, Suzanne and I were kind of working with a couple in our church who are having marital problems. And I know that Suzanne actually got a chance to talk to the wife. And this was, again, it's been a while back. And the wife actually made the statement, listen, God loves me and he wants me to be happy. And I'm not happy in this relationship. And Suzanne told her, God's primary desire is not your immediate happiness. His desire is your holiness. And she was astonished. Her response, you mean God doesn't want me to be happy? What is the answer to that? God wants you to be satisfied. 
in Him. God knows the best plan. God certainly wants you to experience joy. He wants you to be, uh, have abundant living. But what Satan puts before you is that which will satisfy your hunger and lead you to happiness is almost, not almost, is always a lie when it takes you outside of God's revealed will. Does that make sense? I just want you to understand, it's important that we recognize that we are tempted by our hungers. We'll give you some examples in just a moment. But Jesus' response to combat the devil's temptation, Christ drew directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I have a hard time not going into Old Testament doctrine here, but you remember what's going on in Deuteronomy? By the way, repeat after me, context is king. What is the context of Deuteronomy chapter 8? The children of Israel have been 40 years in the wilderness. Moses is reminding them of how God has provided for them over the last 40 years. Not only has he reminded them of God's faithfulness and goodness, now he's preparing them for the dangers that come ahead. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he reminds them, verse 3, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, in order to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What's the point that he's making? You're going to go from the wilderness where you wore the same pair of shoes for 40 years, where every day you picked manna off the ground and ate it. And now you're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to give you victory, and you're going to think it's yours. You're going to think you earned it, and you're going to think you deserve grapes and milk and honey and all those great things. And there's going to be a temptation for you to be sated and satisfied in your own strength and in your own will to your own purposes. And you need to remember that we're not satisfied with bread. We're satisfied with every word, every truth, the reality, the person is revealed in God, uh, is revealed in Scripture that comes from the word of the Lord. It's important that we recognize the faithfulness of God and our total dependence upon him. When Jesus was hungry in the wilderness, Satan tried to get him to provide on his own self-provision, turn stones into bread, rather than wait on God's provision. As Moses reminded the people of Israel to depend upon the Lord to meet their every need, we owe our blessings and prosperity to God's divine provision, and we trust in him to meet our need. But what's our tendency? Our tendency is to take shortcuts that are expensive, shortcuts that are costly, shortcuts that can be very, very appealing. And i got a whole list of examples, and I'm going to try to avoid telling too many personal stories, but let me, just, let me just see if I can give us some categories. Well, I'll give a couple of personal stories <laughs> at the risk of my own humility. Uh, you know what happens when you go to college? Every credit card company in North America sends you an application and guarantees you a credit card. Young folks, this is not a good thing because a credit card is not like a bank account. A credit card is an obligation with a price in the future. I discovered this when I was in college. I remember about three months after getting my first credit card, coming home and saying, Dad, I'm really glad the com credit card company gave me a credit card. But now they're sending me these letters that have all this red ink in it. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be paying these things off, and I don't have an income. How am I supposed to pay these things off? And, of course, Dad wisely said, give me the credit card. 
and let's work out a plan to pay it off. Let me tell you what we'll do a lot of times because, you know, I, I spend it on very, very good things. Very, very good things. Pizza Hut, Krispy Kreme. You know, th- things that were immediately beneficial that had no lasting value. You can talk to Scott. You can talk to me. You can talk to any pastor. We counsel people all the time. All the time. Who, because they've taken shortcuts in finances, are in trouble, and they're in a downward spiral, and they just almost can't get out without God's provision. We talk to people all the time who, because they're not willing to wait on God's plan for sexual intimacy in the confines of marriage, have become addicted to pornography, have engaged in extramarital affairs, or become sexually active before marriage, and it's caused all kinds of relationship problems. I want you to recognize that we deal with people all the time who are so anxious and so worried about taking all of the cares of the world upon themselves, not willing to simply yield and trust in God. They're, they're, they're taking thought for their clothes. They're taking thought for uh, all the different things that they may need. And it's, it's created this whole, whole, again, downward spiral, not glorifying God, not peace, not joy, not happiness. Temporary satisfaction for a while that leads to destruction long term. Here's something that you need to know. Satan's a liar. And he will use your normal good appetites to take you off track, to break your fellowship with God, to move you outside of God's plan for your life. It, it, it's the temptations of appetite, the temptations of hunger. I've told several people to tell me if I get stuck on this point because there are so many things that we could just identify. And so I want to move ahead, but I want to make sure that you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about the desires for good things can become the desires that Satan uses to tempt us, to entice us, to lead us to step outside of the boundaries that God has clearly established. And one of the things that will help us do this is rearrange our values so that we're focusing upon what pleases God. But another thing that we need to grasp and understand is that God is totally and completely trustworthy. God doesn't put rules in place because he's mad at us or because he's teasing us or because he's picking on us or because he wants to make life hard on us. As a matter of fact, James chapter 1, listen to these verses. And I want to read them as a single paragraph, even though in, uh, in most Bible translations they're in two. James chapter 1, starting in verse 12 and going through verse 18. Blessed or happy, where's, the, where's happiness come from? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And that tr- word trial is the word temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By his own desires, by his own appetites. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be, be deceived. We've got a deceiver out there. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures here's what i want you to know your heavenly father knows best and he's trustworthy and every good that which is right that which is best every good and perfect gift comes from him god's plan is always the best plan for you that's the abundant life that christ was talking about 
in John chapter 10. God our Father gives every good and perfect gift and every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what do we do? Point three on your outline. You're going to love this. Patiently wait for God's provision. If you don't take shortcuts, what's the alternative? You patiently wait for God's provision. Can I sum that up? Trust God. Trust God. Depend upon Him. And how do we do this? I'm going to zip through these. Because you already know them. I say them all the time. What's the first thing I'm going to say? Stay in God's Word. Stay in the Word of God. God's Word is living and active and powerful. By the way, this is not legalism. I've had several people, probably five or six, over the last few months at different times saying, all right, we're doing a day of the Bible reading. I hope you guys are in Mark. Are you in Mark? We get to chapter 8 tomorrow. It's a great chapter. It's a transitional chapter of the book. You can catch up. It won't ta- you, this afternoon, you can get all the way, Mark, through, Mark 1, Mark 1 through 8, and be caught up on, on this month's daily Bible reading. But we're doing daily Bible reading. Uh, we are doing, some of us are doing a discipleship study. We have a Bible study for the ladies over here. We have some other things taking place here. You've got us going back and reading on this topic here and reading on that topic there. It seems like you got us, you want us reading the Bible all the time. Yes. Yes. Not as some sort of legalistic obligation that you can check off your list. But this is a precious gift, supernaturally endowed breathed out by God as you get into it truth gets into you revelation of Christ gets into you intimacy with God as you approach it in humility and obedience and opening your mind thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee you want to stand against temptation keep your mind and heart in the word of God As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon in the Christian's warfare arsenal is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Second thing, pray without ceasing. You knew it was coming. Read your scriptures and pray. Not as some sort of rote, check-off-the-list, legalistic expectation, but it is communing and communicating with the Holy One. It is allowing God to reshape your thinking and to reshape your will and your desires. It it will teach you trusting God as you open God's word and as you open your heart and you begin to express desires and you begin to praise him and acknowledge who he is. And you will learn that you don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, you make your request known to God. And what is the result of that? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have a guard as, as you're praying intimately and in God's word. The, the third thing, very simple. If you keep going in Philippians 4, which is the passage I just read, it, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we're told to take every thought captive. And so that's what I put. Take every thought captive. What are you thinking about? 
If you are tempted to gluttony, if you are tempted to lust, if you are tempted to uh, envy or greed, what is it that's dwelling on your mind? By the way, I had somebody ask me the other day, I don't know how to meditate on scriptures. And I said, do you know how to worry? Do you know how to worry? You know what worry is, right? It is rehashing all the terrible things that could possibly happen or that might happen or that you expect to happen or that you're just sure is going to happen. And you just let it stay on your mind. If you'll replace that with the truth of God's word, who God is, what he has promised, what he has told you through his word, what he has written upon your heart. And every time those other thoughts come in, if you just replace it with God's word, this is not some sort of behavior modification. This is allowing the word of God to have victory over anxiety and worry in your heart. It's allowing you to learn how to meditate on the word of God, how to consider it, how to pray, how to think through it. But the last thing here, stay in God's word, pray without ceasing, take every thought captive. The other thing is we're not called to live alone. We're called to live in context with others. And so you need to be part of a local church, a small group. You need to have a friend, a brother and sister in Christ that you can walk through these journeys together. And I, and I am too long in this sermon, but this is so important. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus went full of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says he came out of the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit in order to begin his work. Do you guys want to know what it feels like to be empowered by the Spirit of God in your life? Then learn to recognize the temptations, often subtle, of our appetites in order to not be overtaken. And conversely, deepen your trust in God. It is the key to experiencing God's power in your life. And all of this is possible simply because of the grace of God, simply because of His provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. 